Hello and welcome to another episode of Friday Formula. Thanks so much for joining us as we head back to the wind tunnel to analyse the latest motorsport news. And we're talking first races, the races that got us into F1, the first races we remember watching in full. Uh, but Will, have you been watching Formula One for years and years now? Now, it's weird because it feels like I have, but when it comes back to like pinpointing the earliest race I remember, it's really difficult to do that because like i remember watching um like the old mclarens with like the kimi raikkonen like writing on the side so that was like 2000 2001 right yeah um i remember the old like siemens graphics that came up with like the big yellow stickers and like the blue bars um i obviously remember like the schumacher days i, I really remember like where i used to live and we were between luton airport and Silverstone. Okay. So on British Grand Prix weekend, when I was really small, you'd get a lot of helicopters fly over with like the rich people that have landed their private jets at Luton Airport and get to the race in style. I was kind of similar. I remember I had a, a friend at school that's dad was a huge Michael Schumacher fan. So whenever I re- went round to his, they'd have like highlights on, or he'd be making a little model Formula One car, and there were pictures up all around the house. So I watched like the odd race and bits and bobs with them and then would have it on at home every now and then but neither of my parents were really into it so there was never there wasn't that passionate f1 fan around to sort of keep me hooked so as soon as i got bored i'd just like switch on cartoon network or something else and i think that's important as well because like the race that i've picked is when i was a little bit older and i was at school and i remember i would come into maths on a monday and sit next to my friend Tom and we would talk about the race because we'd watched it that weekend and that kind of carried on and I think I kind of remember it was probably around like sixth form that I stopped watching it for a bit because that's when it went to Sky Mm. and I didn't necessarily have the money and what's interesting is like after that we met at uni and knew each other for two three years and I we never spoke about Formula One (laughs) because we were students and couldn't afford Sky Sports and they don't show it at the pubs. Um, and it's only afterwards that we've actually like rekindled and been able to afford to watch it, luckily, um, that we actually like, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, because it was, it was the BBC days that I remember the most, and then a little bit on Channel 4, but then as soon as it went to Sky, it was just like, well, I can watch the highlights, but... So do you not remember the ITV? So if uh, if it's not the first race that you watched which race have you gone for for the the kind of the one that kickstarted the interest so this is like the one that has stuck out in my head as the one where the events i've really remembered and mm-hmm. like watching it back it felt like i could remember watching this race for the first time and okay. um, i remember sitting down in the living room I'm watching it and it's Singapore 2008. And I think the reason it made such an impression is because it was the first Formula One night race. And at the moment, like, we don't really care about that. Like, we have two night races and a dusk race, I guess, with Bahrain. We're getting a third one with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Night races, it doesn't really matter, does it? We kind of, we're kind of used to it. But at the time, it would have, it was all over the news it was like massively promoted um it was kind of one of the biggest grand prix to be added to the calendar in ages and even as well, i would have been 
12 or 13 at the time. Like, kind of realised that. Mm. Um, and watching the intro, I rem- remember the kind of buzz and seeing the circuit for the first time and actually, like, being dark and seeing what the yeah. cars look like under lights. Because it is very different, especially for, like, a young fan. Yeah. Um, I think that's so much about it as well is the look the aesthetic and the sort of it's like it's something you've never seen before so if you go in having even if you'd watched the british grand prix or belgium or italy or one of these really famous races singapore seems completely different yeah and it's those things that stick right like the first thing i kind of mentioned was remembering Kimi Raikkonen written on the side of his car and like as like a seven or eight year old thinking that was really cool. Mm. And I couldn't tell you anything that happened to Kimi Raikkonen for like the first six years of his career, but I can tell you what his car looked like. Yeah. And I can tell you what the graphics on TV looked like because I was watching TV at the time. Um, so it does play a big part in it. But the events of this Grand Prix played a big part in the kind of future of Formula One. Little did little 13-year-old me know that it was going to yeah, be Were you, were you aware race. of this at the time? <laughs> right, I wasn't. But having watched back um, most of the race today, um, there there is some quite... It almost feels like foreshadowing from James mm-hmm. Allen and Martin Brundle when they're watching it. Because as they're going through the grid... So Fernando Alonso, who, spoiler alert, goes on to win the race, starts off in 15th. So he's really low down the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he got into like Q2, but didn't set a time. So he started 15th. Um, and they're both like, I think Fernando Alonso will be the one to watch today. He's probably, you know, keep an eye out for him. Yeah. Even though he was like on a really random strategy that no one else was on and he really needed things to fall into place for it to happen. Mm. Um, And there was no chance that he would have won that race under normal circumstances, let's say. I've not seen this race in full. I've only seen the odd like highlights. Okay. So it's back in the day when you had to refuel. And Alonso was in a pretty light car and he was on the softer tyres, so he was going to pit a lot earlier than everyone else. Um, And it was going to be a two or three stop race, so they were going to pull him in early and then hopefully see him overtake a load of cars, pull him in, and then set him on, I think, the two-stop strategy um, with everyone else. So he he pitted on lap 10, which which was quite early. I think it was lap 10. So he pitted on lap 12, uh, which was pretty early. But he was the first person to appear. It put him straight to the back of the pack. And then two laps later, his teammate, Nelson Piquet, who started one place behind him, comes around the corner and appears to like oversteer into a wall, mm-hmm. um, completely crashes car. There's no access there because this is a street circuit. Um, so it brings out the safety car. Um, the second piece of foreshadowing that I would like to add to this is at that point... Martin Brundle goes, ah, well, it looks like he's just reversed into that wall. So it brings out the safety car. An interesting rule change that I didn't know kind of looking back on this is that back then you couldn't pit under the safety car 
until the cars were bunched up. So when the safety car came really? out, it automatically when the safety car came out, it automatically closed, and the cars would bunch up, and then the safety car would open, so that it kind of gave them all a fair advantage. They were all in the same place. Yeah. However, so strange now though because you'd be guaranteed to just end up at the back, and there's not really quite as much yeah. incentive to pit under the safety car. But there's also the added difference that these cars needed refueling. Mm. So if you were running on fumes and the safety car came out, you had to pit even though the pit lane was closed and get a 10 second stop go penalty later in the race. That seems a bit, bit of a strange rule to have. Yeah, it's, it's really bizarre. And there's a there's a there's a third twist to that. Obviously, if you're stopping all of these cars being, especially if they need refueling, when the pit opens, everyone pits. And ironically, under a safety car, it's a really unsafe thing to do. Mm. Um, so in this race, it was back in that time when they were kind of half the teams were still using lollipops, good old fashioned lollipops, bring them back, and the other half were using traffic lights, this new fangled technology. Um, and Ferrari were using traffic lights uh, and they double stacked, which apparently wasn't a phrase back then. No one kind of used the term double stack, but uh, Alonso was waiting behind Massa. Massa was leading the race at that point. Yeah. And I think it seems like the pressure got to the crew, their, butt, their fingers slipped and they hit the green button while the, ho the fuel pipe was still in the car. Mm -hmm. rips and this is the key thing that i remember i remember watching this and being like whoa that's cool well, not cool but like this is an Quite. event yeah massa drives off rips the fuel pipe out sends one of the ferrari crew like flying is driving down past like there's this massive train of cars down the pit lane he's getting fuel all over the pit yeah, 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 yeah. all over um, and then he pulls over and then you have like five Ferrari mechanics running down the pit lane to pull it out. Um, Felipe Massa just kind of sat there bewildered. And the thing about that is he went to the bottom of the pack, didn't score any points. And this is in 2008, the year that he lost the world championship by one point. Mm. So you could argue that Nelson Piquet crashing into the wall at Singapore lost Felipe Massa the World Championship in 2008. Here ends my TED talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's interesting um, so many layers to the, the headline controversy because everyone knows about the Piquet crash but there's so many other little quirks about the race i had no idea about all of those well i mean i remember kind of watching this is the thing when we set out to do this i remember watching the intro and that was quite nostalgic i remember the the massive thing in the pit lane i remember that really clearly i don't really i don't remember nelson pk crashing into the wall like not really i couldn't have told you alonso had won the race had it not been like a significant race but watching it back uh, with all the knowledge that we've got and the kind of crash gate stuff. Um, and even, I guess, like you said, you've watched highlight videos of it. 
but that doesn't kind of add in the context of Massa losing the championship that year no. because it's all done in, in context. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is a pretty, this must've been one of the most significant races of that decade. Um, I recommend watching it if you get time. So I went down sort of a similar route to you um, in that I also picked a night race, a different night race though. Um, and it was one that I'd watched races before, but this is the first race that I kind of remember sitting down and appreciating the whole spectacle of Formula One. So I have gone for the 2010 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Which seems a bit weird looking back on it now because no one looks forward to Abu Dhabi. But for some reason, <laughs> it's the race that got me into the sport. Why so is that? Oh, yeah, tell us. Uh, a lot of it is kind of similar to what you say about Singapore in that it's a night race. It's under the lights. It's back in the day when the cars were all polished. None of these trendy matte looks that you get now. So it was just such a cool spectacle. And the Abu Dhabi circuit, Yas Marina, looks insane. How it's all interspersed around the hotel and the hotel is covered in lights and then there's all these yachts parked up around and then there's helicopters flying around. And when you're a 16-year-old kid that just likes noisy, fast things, that's like the most exciting way to spend a Sunday afternoon. So that was sort of what enticed me in but um it helped that the race was on a weekend where we as a family would always go away with like a group of other families and one of the dads that went was a huge mark webber fan and going into 2010 uh, abu dhabi 2010 mark webber was a title contender so the friday and saturday he's been he'd been like sunday I'm having the telly. So I was like, ooh, this is going to be exciting. <laughs> so I think having that person there to kind of point out what was exciting, what was contentious, what to look out for, I think that kind of helped with the whole enjoyment of the two-hour spectacle. And I tell you what, being someone that like, like loves the sport now, that is a rare position to be in where you're watching a race with someone that's maybe never watched it before mm. and you get to like test them out and e explain things to them and kind of try and make them as excited as you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember it was when it kind of transpired that Mark Webber wasn't going to be able to win the championship because so, so going into the race, there were four people that could have been crowned champion mathematically. So they were Mark Webber uh, with Red Bull Racing, Sebastian Vettel, also Red Bull, Fernando Alonso, who was in the lead going in, and then Lewis Hamilton, who was kind of an outside bet, but statistically could have got enough points to win it. And so I was there with, he's called Andy. Andy was cheering on Mark Webber. Uh, and as it transpired that he wasn't going to finish high enough uh, in the points to win, he was disappointed and I was like, why? The race is not over yet. Surely he could still do it. And it was because Seb had changed his tires under the safety car. So wasn't going to have to stop again. So could just carve out this lead 
and not many people really came close to catching him. And uh, he, Andy that I was with, explained this to me and was like, there's no way that he can now get enough points to win. So it's all on Seb. And he was disappointed. I wasn't really that bothered. (laughs) (laughs) But then Seb crossed the line. Everyone was so excited because he was the youngest world champion. There were fireworks going off. He probably did a few donuts. It was sort of all I wanted for some Sunday afternoon entertainment. Yeah, it's a spectacle. Have yeah. you have you ever watched a race with Andy since? No. <laughs> it was a one-time thing. I stopped going on those holidays after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course you did. There was a race on. Yeah, exactly. I had uh, other things to be doing. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, uh, what, what I've like, spoken to him about Formula One since, and he still he still enjoys it. Yeah. Who does he support now? Well, I've not asked him that for a while. I feel like the natural progression from Mark Webber is Daniel Ricciardo, though, because like, everyone yeah, I my... know that liked Daniel uh, that liked Mark Webber or Jensen Button now likes Daniel Ricciardo. So it might still be Mark Webber. He might just be sat there watching Channel Four on a Sunday, two hours after the race, <laughs> like yes. <laughs> I did always like Mark Webber as well, but I think that was why, just because I seen him just miss out on the championship. So, do you have any other specific memories of like the race itself? Because I, I I remember this being the one that there were lots of people could have won it. Uh, having a final race where a few people could come out as the victor at the end is quite a rare thing now. Yeah. Um, but even back then when it wasn't a rare thing, I think it was still quite a spectacle to, to watch, even if you hadn't really followed the season that closely. Mm. Um, there's a few little snippets. So, like, I remember seeing the Ferraris dicing with the Renaults and getting stuck behind them for quite a bit, and that meant that Alonso wasn't going to be able to get up to... I think it was fifth that he had to finish in to be able to win the title. So that was quite a little contentious battle to keep an eye on. Um, And I I remember the similar thing happening with Lewis Hamilton. He got stuck behind another Renault, so he couldn't get up into the front to get into the points. I think maybe I've just always liked Renault. But then weirdly, the other major thing that I remember getting me excited about it was the pit exit. I just thought it was so nuts that it went under the track. I was like, why do they do that? What happens if there's a crash and then they can't get out the pit exit? How do they get down to get them? What if a wheel comes off? I was just always convinced that something was going to happen. And it never did. No, it but never that's did, how but everyone feels about every Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It is an utterly stupid idea. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> So not so much of the race, just like little snippets and more general ambiance of the situation. Because I think we had Sunday lunch just after as well. So Yeah, and what a race to kind of get into it, the final race of the season. Were you geared up and ready to watch race one in Australia in 2011? Or Well, I remember it finished and then I was like, oh, so is it on again next week? I've been really disappointed. <laughs> like, when he was yes, like, oh, there's no, a world championship until, uh... every week. <laughs> You've got a few weeks to to get back into it. Uh, so no, I wouldn't say I was straight into watching every race the following year, but definitely started to pay a lot more attention. Um, 
and also found someone else to talk to about it that wasn't Andy. Um, and I think that's a huge part of being able to get excited about the sport, having someone that you can talk to about what's happened at the weekend, what might happen at the weekend coming up. Because without that, it was just me talking at my mum and dad and they, they weren't as responsive. Absolutely. I I, mean, I still show like my mum race highlights and she does not give a crap. Nope. But I, I yeah. try and make some conversation about it. <laughs> I'm the same. Um, I, I wandered into the living room today to show uh, my girlfriend a Daniel Ricciardo hoodie and she was just like, great. So she's not into it. Yeah, but that, that's not exactly racing, is it? That's just a nice hoodie. It is nice. It's like a nice seafoam green. <laughs> but she was just like, you talk to me about Daniel Ricciardo pretty much every day. Leave me alone. Next week, we're just going to have a little segment at the beginning of the podcast that is like Owen's merch corner. We'll have a little <laughs> jingle, a little theme tune, and you can just kind of talk about the piece of merch you found this week. And then that's your plug. <laughs> Because they're weirdly, I, yeah, I think I have mentioned something every week. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> I've got to stop online shopping. Hey, Will here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to make sure that they land in your feed every Friday where we'll be taking on the world of motorsport. Uh, and if you'd like to see our faces while we have our chats, you can always subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just type in Friday Formula on YouTube. Uh, and you can now subscribe to our Twitter account. Or you can follow our Twitter account even. Uh, just type in our Friday Formula uh, and you'll get the podcasts and videos thrown at you as and when uh, they are released. Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next Friday.